I live my life a quarter mile at a time. This is the nine days of Fast and Furious. The Nine Days of Fast and Furious, Monkey Off My Backlog's first limited series. I'm your host, Tessa Suela, and with me, as always, is Sam Morris. Today, we are discussing the fourth film in the Fast and Furious franchise, the incredibly unimaginatively titled Fast and Furious, which came out in 2009, so three years after the third film, which we talked about in our last episode, Tokyo Drift. Okay, so as you may not know, but may have figured out by now, I have no Christmas spirit. And since we have no guest today, I'm going to turn it right back over to Tessa. Tessa, tell us about your holiday spirit. So I feel like during these incredibly bleak times, part of having a holiday spirit right now is just finding a little spirit in the little things. You know, doing something a little bit every day that'll just make you happy and make you sort of enjoy the season more than you would otherwise. So yesterday it was a sweater. Today, it is the littlest of things that makes me happy. A pair of Christmas socks. Sam, describe my Christmas socks. All right. So on the front of the socks, we've got the business, otherwise known as a T-Rex in a Santa hat with some Christmas lights strewn around them. And in the back, it's not a mullet. It's the T-Rex's tail because he is here to party. Christmas party. I would definitely rate these socks a four out of five for comfort level. They are very comfortable. I don't know how durable they're going to be, but durable enough for Christmas. You just need a T-Rex at Christmas. That's all I'm trying to say. It is time for our podcast within a podcast, Sam's Holiday Cocktail. Sam, what holiday cocktail have you made for us and how do you make it? This is not a holiday cocktail. It's just the cocktail that I felt like making tonight. Over the past year or so, I've been working on building up a bar cart that has all the essentials, one bottle at a time. So this is a cognac-inspired recipe. It is the classic cocktail, the sidecar. You only need a few ingredients to make them. Of course, the main ingredient is cognac. So you get your cognac, you take two ounces, you throw it in your mixing glass with some ice, get yourself three-fourths of an ounce of lemon juice, throw that in, throw in, while you're at it, three-fourths of an ounce of orange liqueur. I used Cointreau, you could use Grand Marnier, I'm sure you could use something else too that's also called orange liqueur. And then you want to take just a little bit, just a, just a... You know, you could measure it out, it could be a teaspoon, whatever. You take yourself some Demerara simple syrup. Now, that's not regular simple syrup, although you could use that if you needed. Demerara is a special kind of simple syrup. Look it up, it's pretty cool. This is not brought to you by Lieber, but if it was, I would tell you that they have a good Demerara syrup. So you're going to shake that all up. By the way, James Bond, don't listen to him. He lies. Here's the rule. If it's got citrus in it, you shake it. If it doesn't have citrus in it, you stir it. James Bond's martini does not come shaken. Only a fool, I say, would do that. So you take this sidecar and you strain it into your glass and you have a good time. If you've got a lemon peel or an orange peel, throw that on. And that's it. Two things before we end this podcast within a podcast. First of all, Sam, 
isn't every cocktail a holiday cocktail if you believe hard enough? That's right. And what was the second one? I don't know. About Lieber? There was like an actually good I, joke. I, well, I don't know. Anyway. Maybe you should just Lieber it alone. <laughs> you know, we really should like change the title of this podcast with a podcast to Sam's Lieber based holiday cocktail at this point. Oh, no, I remember what I was going to say. Okay. You also talked about slowly building out your bar cart and your bar essentials one item at a time. Is this another list that you've been checking items off of? Is this a monkey backlog moment, a momble moment, as it were? There is, in fact, a list. This has been a podcast within a podcast of Sam's Holiday Cocktail. All right, let's get to the main event of this podcast. Let's talk about Fast and Furious, the fourth installment in the Fast and Furious franchise. And looking at this short summary notes, I'm going to say there are a lot of exclamation points, and I want you to pronounce every single one of them, Sam. Sam, give us a short summary of Fast and Furious. I am going to pronounce all these exclamation points. What do you think this is, Spooktober? All right, so Fast and Furious. We're going to start off, and we're going to come in real hot. Dom! Letty! Han? Other people! In the Dominican Republic, pulling car heists. Han's going to Japan. Oh no. Oh no, don't do it, man. But he's gone. Letty's going to take off, but she's going home. Dom's not going to stay there, but he's not going home either. Fast forward, Letty's dead! Oh, no. Brian's a fed? Oh, well, I don't care. Kind of makes you wonder what happened down there in Miami because he was going to open up a, a thing with his buddy and, like, what's happened? Maybe we'll find out later. I don't know. Worlds collide because they're both out for vengeance against Arturo Braga, heroin trafficker. Brian, as a fed's trying to bring Braga in. Dom's just out for some cold, hard revenge. Hijinks ensue. And then after they get their man, turns out Dom is tired of running. Are we going to get a deal for Dom? Brian's going to get him a deal. But then, holy judicial overreach, Batman! 25 to life for Dom. Screw you and your judicial process and your deals and your prosecution and defense deals. We're going to go for the full overreach. Hard on crime. But not so fast because Brian is family. The film ends with the new squad breaking Dom out. We don't see it happen, but you know it's going to work. I just want to note this because I've, I've written about the, we've been watching the Batman 66 series and the movie, and I wrote about it, a couple of articles about it. The last two lines in those notes, like, Dom is tired of running. A deal for Dom. I totally read that in the, the Batman narrator voice. Like, a deal for Dom? Dom is tired of running. A deal for Dom? Tune in next time. Same Dom time. Same Dom channel. <laughs> we, we really like to talk about other pop culture in relationship to Fast and Furious. I feel like, I, I, I think that's going to happen a couple of times during our discussion. We are pop culture sharks. If we stop talking about pop culture, we will die. <laughs> so, this film, I, I, this is also a pretty underrated film, I think. I mean, I have obviously never seen it before. Although, as I was watching it, I did turn to you during the first scene, during the, the fuel tanker heist, which is 
a pretty great action scene. And I said, you know, I think I've seen this scene before. I think that it was playing on television or maybe they just showed part of it, like an extended clip in a trailer in a movie theater or something. I just know that I've seen the fuel tanker scene before. Do we feel like that scene is a pretty iconic scene in the Fast and Furious franchise? Sure. I mean, I haven't seen the rest of it, but I mean, it seems like a lot of people online think that's like one of the classic Fast and Furious car sequences. Well, it's important to note that it's Justin Lin's first full-on family action sequence. I mean, he got the Tokyo Drift stuff, but I mean, this is really the first time that Justin Lin's gotten to play with, like, he got to, you know, he was like the kid brother who got the, like, the expansion set to play with, but, like, Big Brother kept, like, the core set. You know, it's like when I had Justice League action figures and I had the Hollow Justice and all the cool action figures, like, you know, maybe my brother could play with Hawkman. So that's what that was. But now it's like, okay, you're responsible. We'll let you have access to the good toys now. So, I mean, this is like his shot, right? Like, he shot his shot here, and it was good. So, sure. Speaking of Justin Lin, we didn't really talk about this in the last episode, but he has a really great, subtle, like, visual sense of humor. Have you noticed all of the jokes about, like, random things in cars, like, while they're crashing or racing or whatever? Like, in in 3, it was the the bottle of Tabasco sauce going flying by Sean's head. In this film, in the in the gas tanker sequence, it's the the small lizard in the 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 truck driver has the lizard that he's like talking to and like feeding during the whole sequence. I just I think that his visual gags are pretty they're pretty solid. They're not over the top. We're not talking Deadpool level g- visual gags here, but they are they add a lot of character to these sequences that could be like pretty standard. I think otherwise. I think it's funny that you mentioned the iguana. I don't know if talking about something that happens in the literal first couple of seconds of a video game is considered a spoiler or not, but if it is, you're going to want to just scrub the podcast forward about 40 or so seconds, because what I'm about to say is that bit with the iguana is, I guess, referenced in the very first mission of Cyberpunk 2077, If you play as one of the three characters, which I found out last night, and so then I woke up this morning and we watched this movie. No idea, but it's super fun. Back up a little bit, though, and talk about that title. Fast and Furious. They they decided that they didn't need the definite article in front of the, the franchise anymore, but why reuse this movie title? Like, this is something I have a definite opinion on, but I want to hear your opinion on it first. I don't have an opinion on this. All I want to do is set you up for whatever it is you're going to say by saying this. Yesterday, Tess is talking, as, as she often does, and when she's not talking, I'm talking. It's a very loud household. Tessa was talking and said, you know, I think it's funny that they went away from titles like The Beautiful and the Damned. And if you don't know that, that's an F. Scott Fitzgerald novel, right? What? I still don't know that I completely understand that. Explain. So I think the first movie, The Fast and the Furious, I mean, The Beautiful and the Damned was just the first one that come, came to mind. There are other series titles, soaps especially, that do this, uh, the, young and the, the Young and the Restless, The Bold and the Beautiful, I don't know, The Naked and Famous is a band. The point is, is that this is, this is a pretty common rhetorical naming technique, and it usually involves naming attributes of the characters involved. So the beautiful and the damned, the characters involved are beautiful and they are damned. 
And in this particular franchise with the first film, The Fast and the Furious, I was pretty sure that that's what they were referencing. Like, it's not about the cars. It's about the people who live fast and they live furious. They are the Fast and the Furious. With this particular title, when they drop that definite article, I think they're pivoting away from the beautiful and the damned rhetorical thing and pivoting towards something more like Pride and Prejudice, where the descriptors are actually more about the plot and about the cars and what happens in the film than it is about the characters themselves. So if it's Pride and Prejudice, Tessa, who's Darcy and who's Lizzie? Brian is clearly Darcy. And Dom is clearly Lizzie because Dom is prejudiced against him for the, for the first part of the film. He's been hurt. Brian has, has, he has preconceptions about Brian as a cop. You know, like Brian did him wrong in the first film. It's like, the, you know, after the first proposal of Darcy, she's got a lot of, you know, dislike in her heart. But, yeah. but he eventually wins her over. And Brian has to win Dom over in this film. See, it works better than you would think. Brian's also in the position of power, which Mr. Darcy is in Pride and Prejudice. I can do this all day. Okay? Okay. He, he has access to unlimited resources as a fed. Dom is like one of several siblings that have to like make their way in the world. He has very limited options because he's a wanted criminal. He has a sister who he's very close to, which Lizzie also has. So in that case, that means that Wickham is Gal Gadot. Yeah, I can, I, can, I can definitely see that in this film. Wickham is Gal Gadot. Jordana Brewster's character, whose name I can never remember, is Jane. Sure. Who's Letty, then? Is Letty... Well, Letty's dead, so... Letty is dead. Yeah, I think that's probably where the similarities end. But I think that a strong case could be made that this is this is the pride and prejudice to the first films, The Beautiful and the Damned, if we were doing literary references. I think then that makes Too Fast, Too Furious a Hemingway because it's set in Florida. So that's, let's say, oh, I don't know. I'll, I'll give you some things about this. Too Fast, Too Furious as the sun also rises. Let's see if we can do something with that. Tokyo Drift. What do we want to do with Tokyo Drift? It's completely different. We got a lot of canon heavy hitters in here. Are we going to say Tokyo Drift is like a Murakami novel, maybe? It'll never... Much like Haruki... Much, much like Haruki Murakami, Tokyo Drift will never win the Nobel Prize for Literature, even though maybe it should. Okay, so the, the other... <laughs> fridge refrigerator in the room here is of course letty ortiz dies at the beginning of this film i will say i actually had a hard time at the beginning of this film realizing that it was her who had died because they jump straight from him leaving her in the dominican republic because he, it's too dangerous for her to be with him because the cops are going to catch up to him eventually and he doesn't want her anywhere near him which by the way Anytime that somebody says, I'm too dangerous for you or I'm too bad for you, that is taking agency away from you. Like, she's a big girl. She can make her own decisions. Anyway. You're being a real Batman. <laughs> anyway, so we jump straight from that to he's somewhere else and his sister calls him to tell her, him that Letty is dead. Like, there's clearly time between those two things that we find later. But in the chronology of the film, it took me a moment to realize that's who had died. Is that something you experienced in this film? That, that that beginning kind of set of time jumps kind of threw me for a loop. 
And here's the problem with this movie, I think, because I don't think it's as bad as its rating, say, on Rotten Tomatoes, which we talked about yesterday, really deserves. But here's what I think is the problem here. Why did Brian leave Miami? If you sit down and think about it and you put all the pieces together, what you're left with is, okay, so Letty came back to America, wanted to clear Dom's name, and called Brian. How she got his number, I don't know. Was he already back with the FBI? Was he chilling in Miami? Who's to say? But that's probably, so we, we assume that Letty brought Brian back to L.A. And then he ran her as an undercover person, and she died. Who knows how long this takes? Which, I mean, that's the other thing we need to talk about in a minute, is this is the beginning of some timey-wimey business in the Fast and Furious franchise. There's a lot happening in this movie that they just decide not to explain. And that is actually a hallmark of action movies. Don't get too complicated. And they don't, but it leads to some genuine confusion here, and it's definitely a turnoff. Well, I just think there's a way to represent time that makes sense to an audience. You don't have to go into all the details, but you can still represent the time has passed in some way. So it's not like, oh, and two seconds later, she's dead. Like, I, you know, that to me was just kind of problematic. She does get fridged. And like, Michelle Rodriguez, of course, never returns in the series. This is actually one of the, the many, the many. This is actually one of the very, very few spoilers that I know because obviously Michelle Rodriguez is not done with Fast and Furious. I know that having not seen any of the other films. And part of that's because I actually remember, I don't know what film she comes back in, but I do remember the trailer for it making a big deal that she like was coming back and that the character wasn't dead. So I did sort of know about this beforehand. But how do we feel about them using this character in this way? Because the first sequence actually has her taking a really active role in the heist. And I was like, finally, we're getting some like female... We're giving Michelle Rodriguez more things to do. She's clearly learned some some acting skills in the intervening years since one. But then she dies. Like, she's killed off so Dom can have this revenge narrative. What do we think about that? So there's a second answer. It is for Dom's revenge narrative. But as I mentioned, again, I think I said this yesterday, there can be only one. We have to get rid of Michelle Rodriguez so that we can replace her with Gal Gadot. So I think there's actually a practical answer here. It's a stupid answer. It shouldn't make you feel any better. We were going to talk a little bit about why is Brian still a cop. I may have inadvertently answered that one. So I'd like to redevote some time to something you keep talking about that I think perhaps a few of you might not be too familiar with. And she uses it a lot if you listen to Monkey Off My Backlog. So Tessa, could you quickly tell us about what it means to fridge a character? So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the term fridging, or maybe you've just heard it before and you're not completely sure what it means, fridging was a term that was coined by comic book writer Gail Simone to describe the amount of times that female characters are, violence is used against female characters in order to further along a male character's storyline. So anytime that a female character is killed in order for a male character to go on a revenge quest, or if a character is sexually assaulted or you know beaten or any any kind of violence at all against a female character is used to further a male plot line this happens in 
so many comic books, the term actually comes, it was coined by Simone to describe a scene in a Green Lantern comic in which a girlfriend of a character is killed and stuffed into a fridge. That's where that term completely comes from. So whenever we say fridging, that's what we're talking about. A character that is used solely, a female character that's used solely to develop a male character's storyline. So in this case, Letty Ortiz is killed in order for Dom to progress as a character. If you were hearing Tessa talking about a character being fridged and you're like me and you were thinking, you mean the very special episode of Punky Brewster where her friend gets trapped in a fridge? That is incorrect. Also, why would you be thinking that? That's like a weird thing to go back to. Or perhaps slightly less weird, you're thinking, are we talking about nuking the fridge? Which was the, of course, the thing that was perhaps going to be used for uh, to replace the phrase jump the shark. So if you've seen Indiana Jones and I don't know, is it called the Curse of the Crystal Skull? Maybe the beginning where Indiana Jones like hides in a fridge to avoid being nuked because that would work. It's about as believable as Fonzie jumping the shark in Happy Days. But it turns out that's not what bridging is. Tessa, I want to check in with you. And I want to ask you about my favorite thing that you've talked about on this podcast so far, Danny McBride's car pranks. So this conversation actually came up while we were watching the film. So I I think there's actually a really, as I was watching this, I realized there's a really important distinction to be made here in these films as they progress further and further into the realm of fantasy car scenarios. I have talked about car pranks before. And I think that we have to differentiate between car pranks and racing in these films. So the first film is really centered around this idea of racing, right? They're all doing really extreme things with cars, but it's all sort of still in the realm of possibility. This is what cars are made for. They are hyped up cars. They're souped up cars, but they're still racing. The second film also is mostly about racing. There are some car chases in it, but it is mostly about racing. But there is one car prank at the end where a car is used for something that it is not made to be used for, which is to stop a boat from getting away, like the car actually jumps onto the boat off of the dock. So I actually think it's really important to make this distinction because this film is still mainly in the realm of racing. We still haven't gotten to cars jumping between buildings yet, which I think is the ultimate car prank in my mind so far. I'm sure there are more. But the point is, is that I think we're still sort of in a transition phase, which we're going to talk about here in a second with these particular films, but there weren't a lot of car pranks. It's still very much within that first film genre of racing. Now, they are transporting drugs, I think. That doesn't really matter. That's secondary to the plot of this movie. There, there are car chases, but it is still very much racing. I take that back. I just remember there is one car prank in this film, and that is during the test race, during the test race, where Braga is basically auditioning drivers that he'll later later kill, that's all very confusing plot-wise anyway, he gives them, well, Gal Gadot's character who's working for him, gives them all GPSs, which I think is a really interesting idea. Like, I was all into it. However, at some point, Brian gets separated from the rest of them. I don't remember exactly how, but he ends up on a, like an access road or something that's like parallel to the highway that they're on and the GPS keeps telling him that it's four miles to get to the destination. He's clearly so far behind. He's never going to make it. And so he decides to ramp the car 
off of this access road onto the highway, basically freestyling it over the highway. I would classify that as a car prank. That's the only one I can think of in this film, though. So I'm curious. I am still curious how they get from here. Like, this is the fourth movie, right? I, I was expecting more car pranks. So I think this is a useful way to maybe talk about this distinction in future episodes. So when you talked about what Brian did, ramming his car through the, through the thing to get back onto the road, when I watched that it, this time, it reminded me of the scene at the beginning of Casino Royale, Daniel Craig's first Bond movie, where he just plows through the wall to get to the bad guy instead of going around, which is, of course, then copycatted in the seminal film Batman vs. Superman Yawn of Justice. But back to Daniel Craig for a second, because Braga as a villain is taking us back to the the Bond film model, which is like too fast, too furious. We talked about also. So this has a lot of DNA in common with that second film, but I think this one's better. But this is still a very James Bond type villain. And that makes sense in terms of like, we would hire the best drivers and then just kill them because that's some big Blofeld energy. He is just missing a little kitty cat. However, much like Blofeld, there's identity disguise and stuff like that. This is very much a Bond film in that way. I thought Braga was a pretty good villain. What about you? I loved the switch at the end because I actually think it's a really clever idea for a villain to run his operation as his own second, which I think is, I think that's clever. Like, I mean, I didn't figure it out. Maybe, maybe other people could have figured it out until the end of the film, but I, I really thought that was an interesting idea. Do you think that these knockoff Bond villains are mad that they're not fighting Bond, that they're fighting Brian from from the FBI instead. <laughs> that is that is something I thought about during this a little bit. I'm like, man, you're like training to be a Bond villain and you got Brian instead. Aww, but, but, but also Dom. Yeah, I'll give you that. They got Dom, but the well-worn trope of Bond films where the girl is bad, but then the guy convinces her to be good. I mean, you might have gotten the B-rate Bond with Brian, and even Dom, but you did get an A-class Gal Gadot there for you. So, but, you know, going back to the Bond thing, and the and, and, and I, I dare say, get used to that. I dare say that you're going to see more of these B-rate Bond villains in the future as we escalate into more car prankery. Oh gosh, that makes The Rock M. This movie is clearly moving a lot of pieces around in, in some ways. And one of those involves the chronological trickery that we were talking about earlier, which is, of course, the Han of it all. Tessa, how did you feel when you saw the dead Han rise up like so much Solo released from Carbonite? Well, Sam... I was very surprised considering I saw him die yesterday. I, yeah, I mean, it was kind of interesting to realize that this wasn't chronologically in order, that the third, that Tokyo Drift takes place after the events of, I don't know how many of this fil these films that take place after the events of. The last time we see, we only see Han for the first opening sequence. 
And he says he's going to go to Tokyo, as you mentioned, so sometime after the the fourth one, but I don't know how long after the fourth one. I was shocked. I think that's interesting. And honestly, you keep telling me that this franchise isn't over until they go to space. But based on this chronological trickery, I'm actually thinking they might do something a little bit more endgame style where they go back in time. Mm, I like it. And revisit, like do a car time heist. Nice. Now that's a movie I want to see. All right. All we got to do is get Christopher Lloyd, Michael J. Fox on the team. I mean, of course, we see Han for a few minutes, and it's really nice to give that character some fan service. But as soon as the job in the DR is done, you know, Han says he's going back to Japan. So it was nice to give him a little curtain call, a little encore. He had to say goodbye to Han, and it's really sad. I guess Gal Gadot's a good trade for Han. I don't know. What else do you want to say about Han? Well, I don't know if I have much more to say about Han, but the last thing that I'll say about this movie is the relationship between Brian and Dom is also sort of moving to a different place because obviously Dom has to get over sort of his hurt, his betrayal. And so does so does Dom's sister, who, by the way, we see driving a car at the end. She's participating in the heist or the, the prison break, the bus break. Prison bus break. Prison bus break. And so that was kind of cool. But they, they have to get, all, all, all of these characters have to get over their feelings for each other. You know, Brian also has to realize that he doesn't actually believe in this system that he's a part of, that he's more like Dom than, than he wants to, I think, believe. And so that's some interesting stuff. There is a great scene, though, because Dom officially beats him in the test race, but only after tapping his car. And so, so... Brian spins out. And so Brian does this big thing throughout the movie where he's like, you can't win against me without cheating and all this stuff. I was getting really big. This is another pop culture reference. If you're counting, I was getting big Apollo Creed Rocky energy. Did you feel that in this movie? The Apollo Creed Rocky, like they keep fighting and one of them keeps winning, but then the other one accuses them of cheating and sort of this back and forth. This might be too soon. Please don't stop listening. It's like the Rocky series, but if Sylvester Stallone had left and it was about Apollo Creed after that. Yeah, I mean, I just, that's just something that really stuck out to me here is this sort of mentor-mentee, but like the relationship's still evolving in a lot of ways. I, I'm excited to see them work together in the future films. All right, let's do some fast facts. Fast fact number one. Tell me if you know these, Sam. This was Gal Gadot's first film. She had never been in a film before. She had been on television and she had done modeling work, but this is her first movie appearance. The first movie appearance of Wonder Woman. Great Scott! Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah, that was her first movie. Fast fact number two. Ben Diesel wanted to film the fourth and fifth films shot back to back, but Universal wanted to wait because they wanted to see how well four would do because after Tokyo Drift, they weren't completely sure how well the IP was going to hold up. But they did let him direct an 18-minute short film set in the Fast and Furious universe, which is on the, the DVD of this movie. I think we need to watch the short film that Vin Diesel directed. Clearly, Universal Pictures, clearly they were still getting over having been burned by the box office flops shot simultaneously Back to the Futures 2 and 3. They've learned their lesson. But yeah, Vin Diesel, director of a short Fast and Furious film. Vin Diesel, auteur. Ha- auteur. Hot tour. 
Hontour? Hontour? Fast fact number three. The song heard when Dombrine and Mia, that Mia, that's her name, are eating in the film is called Los Bandoleros by Dom Omar and Tego Calderon, who play Leo and Santos, who are the two uh, drivers that are at the beginning with Han, the two in the other car with Han and uh, and Dom and Letty and, and everybody. They also are in the last scene helping them break. Are they the ones yeah. the short movie's about? Yeah. Oh, and they they okay. they are starring the short film along with Dom and Letty. All right. So it's it's about sort of that band taking out gas fuel tank. Cool. So that was I thought that was pretty cool. In Spain, fast up pack number four. In Spain, the gravestone, Letitia Ortiz, which is what Letty's gravestone reads, was actually hilarious and was memed a lot in in Spain because Letitia Ortiz is was at the time the name of their princess and now the name of their queen. Fast fact number five, over 240 cars were built specifically for this film. I thought that was an impressive number of cars. Maybe that's nothing compared to future films. I thought it was interesting. And unlike that franchise, Transformers, none of them were CGI. Sam, give us those furious stats. Well, Tessa, you said that Universal wasn't quite sold on the fact that this movie would do well. Let me tell you, the budget was 85 mil, same as Tokyo Drift. If you'll recall, Tokyo Drift came nowhere near to recovering its budget opening weekend domestic, just under 71 million opening weekend. Much, much better. Total box office, $363 million. So what you're telling me is they made more money than Tokyo Drift in their opening weekend? Fast and Furious also topped the box office the weekend it was released. Following it in the top five are Monsters vs. Aliens, The Haunting in Connecticut, Knowing, I think that's a Nick Cage movie. It is. I saw that one in the theater. It was strange. And I love you, man. Uh, that's Jason Siegel and Paul Rudd, is it not? Fast and Furious 4 is a return to the top of the box office. However, it did not stay there for very long because the very next week, it was displaced by Hannah Montana the movie. So you know what? Vin Diesel, box office draw, nothing next to Miley. Let's talk about Corona and family. Okay, so I'm going to start with the Corona moments. There are two in this movie, bringing us up to a total of four Corona moments over the course of the four films. The first one comes at 47 minutes when they're having Coronas in the club. And the second one is an hour and eight minutes in. There is a family dinner with Corona, which you better believe also is something to add to our family count. Family dinner, total of five family moments across the four films so far. And Dom does during his prayer thank God for family. So it's sort of a daily double there. All right, guys, it's time to scatter. Join us tomorrow for the next installment of the Nine Days of Fast and Furious with Fast Five. Will Dom and Brian finally team up on a car prank? Who knows? I certainly won't until I watch the film tomorrow morning. 
Over the next five days, we have more guests and lots more holiday spirit lined up. Over the next five days, we have more guests and lots more holiday spirit lined up. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout because Jason Statham and The Rock are taking over for Santa this Christmas Eve. Watch along with us. Tweet at us. Email us. Let us know your fast and furious thoughts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at monkeybacklog and email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. You can find Sam on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9, and you can find him on Letterboxd at Archie Leach 9. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. Also, check out our regular weekly episodes of Monkey Off My Backlog, as well as our newest series, Monkey Nights. Our special holiday theme song is Scott Holmes' version of Jingle Bells and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Find the podcast on Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's all about family. See you next time.